Hello, welcome to the Sweeter Than Honey podcast. I'm Tori, and I'm with my husband Josh and his brother Brendan. Today we are talking about the setting of the Old Testament. Yes. Yeah, cultural, historical. It's too big of a topic to cover, so I'm not going to go into excruciating detail. But there are some very interesting points that we're going to cover, and we'll, you know, give give the the general overview of what this landscape looks like literally and figuratively <laughs> uh well there, there are three major periods that the old testament covers there's the uh you could consider prehistorical or primeval but when we say prehistorical we're not talking about in a modern sense like cavemen and before written history was even a thing i mean it is before written history but not in the way that the world views it mm-hmm. it's not before man evolved to write it was just we don't have uh, a lot of records about what happened. This is pre-flood that we're talking about, prehistorical or primeval uh, history. And then once we get into the time of Abraham, I'm sure most people know who that is, major character in the Bible. <laughs> once we get around to Abraham, uh, for quite a while after, and quite a while after that, we're in the Bronze Age. Um, it's a very large time period, but basically it's just. The time period in history where the main material used for tools was bronze. That was the easiest metal to harvest and to craft into these different tools. And then um, that goes up until the conquest of Canaan with Joshua, the successor of Moses. And after Israel is in the land, we start to see the rise of the Iron Age, uh, specifically with the Philistines coming in. They're stated to have more advanced technology they have better armor better weapons and they're able to decimate the land because of that mm-hmm. so from the time of the judges onward toward the end of the new testament we're basically in the iron age uh, which revolutionized warfare and there's a lot of war in the old testament because of that not strictly because of that but it, it makes it a lot worse uh, so those are the three general time periods that will that are covered in the new the old testament the location for essentially all of the Old Testament is what's known as the Fertile Crescent. It's this area in the Middle East, uh, east of the Mediterranean Sea, and it goes, it basically follows the Euphrates River down into the Sinai Peninsula, and it's this, this desert region that's bordered, bordered by this really lush territory because of the Euphrates River that, you know, you have the River Valley civilizations. The Euphrates River was one of the first. Um, and, you know, modern archaeology and history even acknowledge that, that the Euphrates River was one of the birthplaces of society. For those of us who have been out of school for a little bit of time, <laughs> can you tell us where the Fertile Crescent is, like, in, quote-unquote, today's yeah, Words. it's south of Turkey. Mm-hmm. It's east of the Mediterranean, so where modern Jordan and Israel are. Mm-hmm. It goes from that northern tip and goes eastward in a crescent moon shape down towards India, but it's still west of India. Mm-hmm. Um, so modern uh, modern day Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, it's that general area. Um, and then down south of that is the Sinai Peninsula, where another large chunk of um, the Old Testament is going to take place. Cool. And then part of northeastern Egypt. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the most significant events in the Old Testament takes place there. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, we're mostly going to be focusing on the eastern shore area of the Mediterranean. That's going to be the large focal point, but that larger territory is in in a more general sense going to be the focus of the Old Testament. Yes, and, it, and the contemporary uh, Mesopotamian cultures that are going to have an impact on how things yeah. look yeah. for the, the, I guess, peoples focused on in the Old Testament. Yeah, especially the Babylonian and Syrian empires um, <laughs> play major roles directly and indirectly all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, even though we don't get mention of him, uh, Sargon of Akkad, he's going to, you know, influence some of the writing that's going to come later. So contemporary literature, at least early on, would be the Epic of Gilgamesh and, um, oh, what is it? What's the, Hammurabi's Code. Mm-hmm. The Code of Hammurabi, which is going to present this idea of how does a king set up a list of rules? How does that actually, you know, how does he enforce it? Yeah. How does all that take place? Yeah, how does that take shape within a societal context? Yeah, exactly. That sounds very much like how do you eat an elephant? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Is it that big of a of a topic? No, we're not, like, there's no mention of the Code of Hammurabi or the Epic of Gilgamesh anywhere in the biblical text. We just see parallels between some of the stories and the structure of how the laws law is presented. Sure. Yeah. Do like the Odyssey and the Iliad also line up? Or no, no, that's that's the, much later. Those are both written after the Old Testament ends. Okay. Still before the time of the New Testament. It's yes. in, it's in between that 400 BC and 0 AD sure. or mm-hmm. 1 AD. There's well, no I, zero. There's no year 0. I just right. ask because I know like in school I learned like of the great texts like you have um War and Peace and then you also have <laughs> The, the Iliad and the Odyssey mm-hmm. and <clears throat> the well, Epic of Gilgamesh, and then you're just like, um, okay, yeah. large books. And I'm not going to read that. <laughs> and, you, and you have to remember that the Iliad and the Odyssey are <clears throat> Greek texts, yeah. and mm-hmm. the Greeks had zero influence on the Old Testament until, sure. like, or not not even until. Like, yeah, I see. They're, 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 they're mentioned figuratively in Daniel. <laughs> and that's about it. Right. Well, and, and For like the, a brief the, moment. Yeah. M- most of when they were doing things relative to the Israelite people, um, that, that at that point known as the Jews because of what the Babylonian culture had done with, with the people of uh, Judah. Um, a, a lot of that ends up being recorded in what, what we would consider to be apocryphal books. Um, some of the stuff that's in the Deuterocanon, some of the stuff that's also in more pseudepigraphal texts. Um, yeah, the, book of the, Maccab- the books of the Maccabees <laughs> record yeah. a lot of the atrocities that the Greeks committed and the Hellen- Hellenization of, uh, which Hellenization is like just Hellenistic Greek culture, basically. So the Hellenization of a lot of parts of the Jewish culture and world at mm-hmm. that time. Yeah, Are you books able of the to explain that in... Easier words to digest. <laughs> Alexander the Great came in and turned everything into Greece as much as he could, basically. Oh, okay. <laughs> and a lot of Orthodox Jews, which ended up turning into the sect of the Pharisees, mm-hmm. uh, were like, no, we got to hold on to our Jewish roots. Yes. Reject Greek. Yeah. Just reject it. Yes. 
we language, culture, food, yeah. even sometimes, like, just don't do it. Sure. Basically, we don't want Babylon to happen again. Baklava? No thanks. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then you, you see some of the ramifications of that. Obviously, we're getting into territory that, that we, sure. we weren't covering for a good while. No. But um, New Testament... Uh, interpersonal relations between Jews specifically, mm -hmm. the, especially as we get into the book of Acts, the, there's a lot of, uh, and, and the epistles following that, mm -hmm. a lot of things concerning what the different Jewish cultures are practicing and how okay. those relate to each other, especially gotcha. now that Jesus has done his thing. Sure. Um, so we see kind of the consequences of the Hellenization of things, but that's not something that necessarily plays a direct role in either testament. Okay. Except in the Deuterocanon. Yep. So, gotcha. which which is technically considered to be part of Old Testament literature, mm -hmm. uh, even though it, it falls in the Second Temple period, which we'll, we'll get into Second Temple stuff. By Deuterocanon, what do you... That, that's, that's what the Catholic Church refers to the apocryphal books as. Mm -hmm. it, it means a second canon yeah Christ oh, okay. these, christian these are, literature that is not actually in the bible like yeah, the so, maccabees so, and stuff that's not traditionally quote-unquote like if you crack open in an iv it's not going to be in there no but it is it is more traditionally included in biblical books than than in our biblical books okay but but there there's there's a there's a debate as to whether these things actually belong there because they are inspired scripture or whether they were simply there because a lot of these books were part of the septuagint Mm -hmm. um, whether they were there simply for the sake of being instructive or mm -hmm. whether they were inspired scripture. And gotcha. and that debate ha has historical roots, which in part are tied to the Reformation and, and therefore is why we view them as not being part of the scriptural canon, but <laughs> the Catholic Church recognizes them as being part of the scriptural canon now. Um, hence the name Deuterocanon. Gotcha. But the Maccabees, like in the text itself, even admits that it's not scriptural. It refers to itself as a historical text mm. only. Gotcha. Um, that, that's, that's kind of a tough one. And here's the thing yeah. is like these texts, and we, we talked about this a little bit in the previous episodes, but these texts are fine to read to gain an understanding of Second Temple Judaism and early Christian literature. Sure. As long as you remember look through them at the lens of these are not inspired scripture. Mm. Okay. Like these, if you're reading the Lord of the Rings, you can read the Hobbit as well. Am I? No, well, the, no the Hobbit the would Hobbit be part of the canon. Okay. The Hobbit functions as <clears throat> part of the Old Testament, if you will. Okay. Of, of the Middle Earth. Well, no, I guess the Hobbit is kind of the start of more New Testament, technically. Sure. With, within this analogy. Um, so, so things. The Hobbit like, and the Lord of the Rings are on par with each other as yes. far as how okay. legitimate they are. So, so sure. th this would be more equivalent to if you watch the movies; those are canon mm -hmm. to that particular version of things. But the games, which are spinoffs, they're interpretations of events that happened in the actual story. Mm. So, oh, okay. The, the, Sorry, the, I didn't the, mean to like go on a rabbit hole. Well, no, 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 it's no, just no, like, no. like we're trying to make this make sense. Yeah. The, mo yeah. the most basic way to explain the Deuter Chronicle books is. Mm -hmm. They're essentially commentaries with, oh, okay. with historical events. Sure. Actually. Like how you recorded. can, re you have like, you know, we have 17 Bibles on our bookshelf right now. And then we also have commentaries and other things that can help us understand. Yeah, those commentaries yeah. just, this is just what this help, means. help us read those things. Gotcha. But they themselves aren't the thing that we're supposed to focus on. Yeah. yeah. 
You should be reading the Bible more than you'd be reading. Exactly. Yes. yes. But but the the complexity comes into play when when discussing again those who view them as being part of the Bible, and so mm-hmm. they're going to view those those particular writings as having a higher status, mm-hmm. and 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 would would decry people who who are trying to separate the significance of these books from what we view as scriptural canon. Gotcha. So so they they would say that we are neglecting these things and 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 ignoring the fact that they are scripture if we just stick to our old and new testament Mm -hmm. and so the the thing it's just important to be aware of the fact that there are people who hold these to the same level gotcha some people see maccabees as being 100 percent canon uh more or less yeah yeah okay even though it like even if they don't want to admit that they'll at least hold its spiritual value okay as being equal sure but like Speaking for us three, mm. we wouldn't consider that right. as being first and foremost. No, that, no that's no, why that's, that's why in the past yeah. few episodes we talked about, okay, here are the books that we're actually talking about. Yes. yes. Right? And this is why we're only talking about these books. Sure. We'll get into the Maccabees and Enoch <coughs> and Jubilees. And Excuse stuff. me. Goodness gracious. Bless you. <laughs> Thank we'll, you. We'll, we'll get into all those way down the road uh-huh. because it, they're, they're good books to read. Yeah. It's totally fine. Like a lot of our modern hymns take – inspiration from the jubilee specifically because it is a worship book mm-hmm. it's just not inspired yeah. just like our modern hymns aren't actually inspired but they still right. hold spiritual and biblical truth yes. yeah in they a form of legitimate worship our... right. yes right exactly. yes so the jubilees are not the same as the psalms okay the psalms actually tell a story in the fact that they are inspired mm-hmm. the jubilees are simply a good way of worshiping god okay Rabbit holes aside. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think that's important to touch on, though. Uh, backtracking sure. a bit, something I did want to branch off of a little bit as well that, that kind of started that spiral. Um, the idea of the parallels between things like the Epic of Gilgamesh or, say, the Baal Cycle or um, what was the other example that you brought up? The Code of Hammurabi. Co- Code of Hammurabi. Um, and, and the way that that... There, there are very significant similarities that can be recognized between these um, contemporary texts and biblical texts. Yeah, the deluge not being the least of them. Yes. Um, this pertains to the cultural context, something that was very common at that time in the way that the literature was constructed, hmm. is if you wanted to elevate your nation and your nation's god— above any other, you would essentially borrow the structure of contemporary mythos and then use that to basically say, our God is so much better than your God's. Look at what your God did according to your mythos. Our God did this according to our mythos. Yeah, He's so much greater. So, so a very obvious example would be um, the Enuma Elish, which is a, a creation myth where basically the existing Sumerian creation myth um, and, and, and all of the deities involved in that, Babylon said, hey, that's great, but our god Marduk actually came in when, when all of your gods were unable to do anything and the world was going to chaos and set everything right in an even better way than what your gods did. The perfect example of this is Disney's Star Wars trilogy. Okay. So, Uh-oh. so <laughs> you mean to say 
seven, eight, and nine. Yes. yes. Okay. So so basically, we have the Brandon's we have triggered. the the <laughs> we have episodes one through six. Right. We uh-huh. see the Skywalker family achieve greatness by bringing balance to the Force and defeating the Empire and Palpatine once and for all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, just kidding. Spoilers. Who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, just kidding. Episode nine, Ray comes around and is like, "Oh, I'm going to kill Palpatine again, but by myself." Mm-hmm. Because I'm greater than all the other Jedi that came before me. I am all the Jedi. Yeah. So that, that that's the perfect example okay, of, of basically subverting somebody else's story uh-huh. of, of why we're here today. Yes. Why are so our like people Luke doing Skywalker, Mooch, my mom, Kind of, yeah. All those other guys um, died. Yeah. That Like, they can't do a single thing and we're in trouble again. Guess what? I can take care of it all by myself because yes. you guys are dead. And yes. I'm a woman, so who cares? <laughs> I mean, I don't think the feminist movement was very prominent back in ancient Sumar. No, well, no, no but, <laughs> but yeah, that's a big reason why people like Ray. <laughs> and don't true. like Ray. Yes. 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 Anyway, um, um, but yes, that that is that is a a good example of <laughs> how how those kinds of polemics function. Um, sure. And people are going to react so, the same way. Like, but because Babylon, you know, takes over the Sumerian nation. The Sumerian nation might not be happy about it, mm-hmm. but Babylon's like, well, I'm in charge now, so I don't care. Yeah, so sure. our god is in charge of all your gods now because... Now you got to worship Marduk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We win. So. We win because we, we yeah. did more well, and, things. And defeating <laughs> another nation sure. meant that your god defeated their god. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Um, all of that to say, there are those same kinds of polemic, uh, I guess, structures included in the Bible. Can you define polemic? A controversial argument, especially one refuting or attacking a specific yeah, opinion or doctrine. Is. Attack is the uh, key word in that. There, there are these, there are these rewritings happening all the time. Of the Bible? No, 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 no. no, no of 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 people's mythos. Yeah, of of people's origin stories, basically. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And and so so the, the, these these new mythological histories are written in such a way as to attack and delegitimize the previous culture Re- reigning everything in um so so I, I bring up the idea of the more more polemic literature to say that within the context of scripture there is that same kind of repurposing which happens um the the creation story as we have it in a way serves that kind of function mm-hmm. it says Okay, your gods had to wage war or, um, you know, emerged from something pre-existent. Mm-hmm. Our god was pre-existent. He pre-existed everything, and all he did was speak a word, and mm-hmm. everything came into order yep. at his command. He did not have to fight the Leviathan. He made, he made the Leviathan to play in the yeah. water. And so... Um, there are a lot Here, of a slip and slide. Go have fun. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of those kinds of instances of specifically with with something like Hammurabi's code, where the law given in the uh, latter part of Exodus all the way through to uh, Numbers and then the reiteration of such in in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of parallels to be drawn between Hammurabi's code and the Levitical law. But this is this is Israel essentially taking what God gave to them and using something like Habarami's code as as a structure mm-hmm. from which to say this is your idea. But our gods is elevated even above that. 
Oh, shoot. And so the way that we handle um, if a slave ends up getting beaten is elevated above what you guys are willing to grant to that slave. We, we, we view that slave as human because he's made in God's image as well. They're, they're waging spiritual war on these nations through their literature. Yeah. Mm. They're yeah. challenging the little g-gods of the land that they are surrounded by and the land that they're going to possess. Mm. Mm. Basically say, you may have some authority in the earth. Well, guess what? You still answer to the highest authority. Yes. These nations might be under your influence and jurisdiction. But guess what? You got to relocate. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, and weren't you telling me this, that a lot of... Um, I don't remember, sorry, I don't remember if this was you or if this was somebody else, but somebody was saying, like, a lot of biblical stories and, you know, all that stuff, the what's in the Bible kind of got passed down as, like, tradition from word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Like, parents told their children, and that just kind of kept going. Like, nobody really was like... I should probably write down what happened and well, your keep, blank, blankety, blank, blank. You know? keep, keep in mind that people lived almost a thousand years pretty consistently yeah. for the first like four generations. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Methuselah is an outlier, but he, he lived very close to a thousand years. Yeah. There's no need to write stuff down because yeah. your great, great, great granddad can just tell you about it. Mm-hmm. So, and they would have had better memories than we do because they didn't have immediate access to things. They, they would have had to remember things for longer periods of time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Adam would have had to have a superior intellect to, since he was the first human, he would have had to be the first person to recognize and track the stars and the movement of seasons and how long a year was. Mm-hmm. He would have had to know when the best time to plant your seed was, when the best time to harvest your product was. Mm-hmm. He had to learn that, so his memory... There wasn't an old farmer's almanac for him. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes. He was it, the first farmer. It is, yeah. It, it is It is very likely yeah. that God would have given him intuition and instruction mm. at the beginning, but God didn't sit there after the fall and be like, all right, do this. Now do this. No, you messed up. Do it this way. Mm-hmm. The, the, whole, the whole purpose of their elongated life post-fall was to learn and teach to pass on to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam's son came as a second-generation human, is a farmer. He figured out, whether on his own or from Adam, how to tear the ground to plant his produce. So he probably would have used some sort of tool. You don't just use your hand to tear up the ground for planting. You can, yeah. but... He, he was able to he up. was able to yes. produce crops in abundance. Yes. Yeah. So he made some sort of tool, maybe out of just wood, or he, you know, we think about like stone tools from quote unquote cavemen, mm-hmm. maybe that kind of tool yeah. as, as a starting point. At that point, animals were starting to die, so probably bone could have been an option as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that it like it dates back all the way back to the second generation that people were. Using tools, probably most likely that that we're 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 reading between the lines here. Sure. 
because it doesn't explicitly tell us, at least right now. Yeah, you what, can't crack happening. your Bible open to be like, oh, Cain got out his shovel and he yeah, planted yes. a watermelon. That, that, that's yes. why I'm saying. That's why I'm Delicious. saying. He probably <laughs> used tools. Yeah. Yes. It's not a necessity, and whether he did or not doesn't affect the text. Yeah. But we're just we're just trying to get get an idea of what this world would have looked like. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, after his event with his brother and his curse not to settle in one place, he tries to do exactly that by building a permanent fortified residency. He probably would have used natural resources to build it. As far as we know, bricks weren't around right now. It would have been like clay and mud huts kind of things or setting something up using a natural cave, something like that. He would have found a way to make something to protect himself where he could constantly go back to and sleep and keep his family instead of having to move around all over the place, which in itself was an act of rebellion. He wasn't supposed to do that, but (laughs) he built a city. Yes. Which in Moses' time, a city meant you have walls. You're not just a tent in the middle of a field. Yeah. Yep. You have a a way to defend yourself from something, whether in in Cain's situation, it was probably humans. Because as far as we know, animals weren't even aggressive until after Noah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would have built that to protect himself against other humans because he was so scared that they were going to try and get revenge on him. Yep. For killing Abel. Maybe Abel's wife and kids, if they had those. Probably not, though. Like that, But like the idea that the family. Mm-hmm. I, I'm saying Abel's wife and kids, not because Abel had wife and kids. We actually don't know, and it probably, probably didn't. But the we're idea of taking revenge for people. a family member. Yeah. Other that kind of idea. So probably their siblings. That's something sure. that their culture would have understood. Mm-hmm. The idea of just payment. Mm-hmm. Justice. Yeah, right. well. Uh, and then, way down the line on Cain's side of the family, the eighth generation humans, uh, his descendants domesticated labor animals, and they invented musical instruments, and they were able to harvest and utilize bronze and iron. So even before the Bronze and Iron Age, we have record in the Bible of one of Cain's descendants going into a mountain, finding these these veins of these precious metals, and figuring out how to, you know, Melt extract it. them Melt it. Yeah. and form them into tools. And if Cain's family is any indication, those tools were probably used in sinful ways. Like, it is likely that they used that first to defend themselves and then secondly to go and oppress other people because suddenly they have the power. Yeah. Noah was a 10th generation human on uh, the other side of the family. Uh, Cain's successor, basically, Seth, had a whole bunch of kids and they had a bunch of kids and all that kind of stuff. So that's where Noah's from. He had the knowledge, the ability, and the tools to utilize processed lumber and a binding agent. He was able to, you know, actually construct this ark and the word literally is cover it with a covering. Mm -hmm. But the implication is that it would have been something like an adhesive that would have kept everything together and sealed it from water getting in. Yeah. I I think I saw something on like the Discovery Channel or Nat Geo or whatever. But, like, they they tried to do, like, a biblically accurate arc. 
where they tried to like cover it in tar and made it out of like whatever wood that he would have used or whatever was you know the closest thought to whatever he had but like they put tar on it that was like mm-hmm. such a weird thought to me because mm-hmm. isn't tar used to like put shingles on your roof <laughs> or stuff sure. like that it, it, it used to be yeah. more prevalent in asphalt i think yeah um but yeah like it's a naturally occurring <laughs> adhesive mm-hmm. so yeah bitumen uh which is also which is used in the tower of babel huh. after the fact so when when they which we're actually talking about right now when they constructed bricks they found a way to streamline production of this shaped hard tool mm-hmm. that they could a, use a to, block of clay yeah. and and straw and uh and they would bake it so that it would increase the durability mm-hmm because you can only play, you can only stack so many clay blocks on top of each other before they crumble. Sure. But if you superheat them and bake them, they become harder. You're basically making a homemade rock. Yep. Mm. And so they they were able to construct, you know, buildings and and temples and huge feats of you know architecture. Yeah. Uh, before the time of Abraham. Yeah. We we don't know when the Tower of Babel actually was built yeah um because we we don't know exactly when nimrod was around we don't know when he started this project or you know when it was finished quote unquote when when they, when they couldn't do it anymore basically mm-hmm. uh, but all we know is that by the time of abraham you have more modern buildings being yes. built and then after the flood they they were able to own their ability to hunt animals. And so now you get that hunter-gatherer kind of society alongside a river valley civilization society. Sure. So you have the people that are going to go farm and you have the people that are going to go hunt. Like Nimrod became a great hunter. Mm-hmm. He was able to master the craft of tracking down animals and probably humans and eliminating them for food, material, or just for sport. Sure. So an increase in how effective your arms are going to be. Not your little arms, like oh. your, <laughs> your, your <laughs> weaponry. The you, first you, thing that did come to mind yeah. was just Nimrod, yeah. and he's just got these guns. N- Nimrod, yeah. Nimrod invented the first barbells. There you go. The first uh, man to do a push-up. <laughs> and then all the men after that were like, whoa, well, we can get swole. He has such effective arms. <laughs> How did he get this way? <laughs> yes. No, uh, you, you, yeah, tools for killing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people don't like this either, but we don't know where the Garden of Eden was. Yeah. Yes. We don't. The, the whole world was, you know, reset with the flood. Water burst from the, the ground. So yeah. it's possible that a Pangea-esque landmass was the... The original state of the world sure and it was broken apart there's because the, the in the creation narrative it's implied that the water was all in one place and the land was all in one place it was a dichotomy it was not mm. oh there's a piece thing, thing of land over here there's a thing of land over here there's a thing of land over here and they're kind of connected but not really right. no 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 it was okay you have a half of the world that is land and a half of the world that is water 
Mm-hmm. Maybe not exactly, but like yes. the idea that these are two entirely separate domains. <laughs> yes, mm. yes. Well, and, and the the language present in the flood narrative reinforces that idea of the reset because it very much implies the earth the earth returning to a decreated chaos state. Mm. It's and covered then, in water. Yeah, and then coming back into an ordered creative state or created rather yeah um the the wind or the ruach of the lord comes back onto the earth and the water subsides and the land emerges from the water once more so there's this idea that whatever creation existed pre-flood no longer exists and there is a new creation of sorts that comes as a result of the flood occurring um yeah and and so so there's no reason to believe that the geography we have post-flood necessarily resembles pre-flood geography yeah and then as far as language goes overall the the hebrews and the jews spoke hebrew uh we don't know how far back that went but it's implied that the origin of like extra biblically not not in the bible but the, the origin of the term hebrew that people group that language group came from eber that that's the general consensus from textual criticism and language studies for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Eber was uh, three generations from Noah, I think. He he was a descendant of Shem, okay. very very close to the actual time of the flood. Mm-hmm. His son was born in the time frame of the Tower of Babel. So it was in Eber's lifetime that the Tower of Babel occurred, but doesn't give a specific date so we can we can say oh it's probably between these two dates we just don't know exactly when that is yeah uh the jews modern jews will contend because of their ancient traditions that hebrew was the original language and that it was given to adam directly by god and the complexity of hebrew from a spiritual perspective can support that claim but it is not explicitly stated and it really doesn't matter in the overall scheme of things whether Hebrew was the first language or not. We still have the scripture, mm-hmm. and we can understand it today. So, so that's a cool legend. Is it true? Maybe. Do we know? Not at all. Yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah. Yes. But even if it wasn't the original language, it could have existed pre-Babel. Mm-hmm. We know that it at least existed by the time Abraham's family was separated from the rest of the other families sure, in the earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you also have to keep in mind that you can do all the digging and everything that you want to, but really what's important is what's in the Bible. <laughs> exactly. So Abraham was able to communicate with a different nation, mm-hmm. Egypt, even if they had a different language. So by the time that Abraham's generation was walking around on the earth. They had started to redevelop a communication with each other. They they weren't all going to agree with each other, which was part of the curse at Babel, was mm-hmm. let's confuse the languages and they won't be able to work together, basically, mm-hmm. is the idea. Uh, and but, but now these nations are actually able to communicate and trade with each other generally. Sure. But we also see later in Abraham's story that they like to fight each other a lot. Yeah. Because they want everybody else's food and land and people. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And then Abraham's son, Isaac, marries somebody from a different family that speaks a different language. Hmm. Rebecca's family sp- speaks Arabic and uh, or Aramaic. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what Aramaic is? It's it's a it's a Semitic language, a, a, a Shem it, descendant yeah, language. It, Again, that's not really It's a relative language group. It's a relative language, relative as in like brother or sister mm-hmm. language to Hebrew. Okay. So similar. It, it, Italian to, and Spanish yes. are sister languages. Mm-hmm. Arabic and Hebrew are sister languages. They okay. they descended from the same place. Gotcha. That's why a lot of words. That's what are that the image same? means, or that, similar at least. Okay, yeah. And and here here's the fun thing is that in Moses' time, Hebrew had a lot of borrowed words from Egyptian. Yeah. They would just use straight up Egyptian words. Sometimes. Oh sure. Like we we use bon voyage. We're not speaking French when we say no. that. We're we're. I mean we are, but like yeah. But like, in America we mean the same thing. Yes. We're just borrowing the French words to say it. Exactly. Right. Like bon appetit. Yeah. <laughs> like. You can tell you know you're what American, that means. yeah. It, 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 it's, like, an, it's an American yeah. phrase, but it's not actually an American phrase. It comes just from use it in America. French. Yeah, yeah. It means have a good appetite. So that that's a yes. borrowed phrase. Mm-hmm. Those are borrowed words from French. Yep. Um, like in America, when we say bon appetit, it's like all right, meal time. <laughs> but when when Isaac, <clears throat> Isaac's son Jacob, encounters uh, Rebecca's brother mm-hmm. uh, Laban. They're communicating with each other perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And then when they have a disagreement, they both name their specific place of their little tussle mm-hmm. in their different languages. Jacob names it a, a name in Hebrew, and Laban gave it the place an Aramaic name. There you go. Which so means yeah. witness pile. Because, yeah. Arabic, I believe, it would be a little bit further um, further east. Okay, I couldn't, I couldn't remember... How that all works. Yeah, I could be wrong about that. I don't remember for certain. It's been years since I've taken human geography. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the entire Old Testament is written in Hebrew except for two exceptions. The latter half of Daniel is written in Aramaic, and Ezra and Nehemiah, the scroll, is written in Aramaic because those two texts or accounts were written when Israel was exclusively in Babylon yeah. turned they have, they have a Babylonian context. Yeah. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah is about them returning from that land, but those people that lived for those events would have been born and grown up in Babylon, what hmm. became Persia after that, or Persian-ruled Babylon, because yeah. the region would have still been Babylon. But it, it it's like how... Judea was still Judea in the Roman Empire, but it was in the Roman Empire kind mm-hmm. of deal. Babylon was still Babylon, but it was in the Persian Empire, so there was no Babylonian, Babylonian, Babylonian ruler. <laughs> yes, and that that's the context in which Esther also exists. Yeah, but Esther Esther is still written in Hebrew, mm-hmm. and that's part of why people aren't even sure it's supposed to be in the Bible. It it's first of all it doesn't, doesn't mention it doesn't God. mention God at all. <laughs> Secondly. It's basically a fable about how this holiday got started, even though it is a historical event. Mm-hmm. Three, it's an Aramaic event written in Hebrew. Mm. What? Why is Ezra Nehemiah written in Ar- Aramaic then? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But 
it, it it's it's probably similar to Job, where we're not sure who wrote Job, but if it was written later, it's this event that happened, and it's just being recorded by a Hebrew scribe, yeah. mm. which it likely did happen later. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that is the general culture and setting of the Old Testament, which very general. Again, yes. yeah. if you're curious, you can go look up the Epic of Gilgamesh. You can go look up the Code of Hammurabi. Mm-hmm. You can learn about the history of the Bronze Age, the Iron Age. Although, with those two things, take it with a grain of salt because they're going to put it in the yeah. context of an evolutionary world history. Sure. Um, a you know, lot it, of stuff is going to be put in the and, idea yeah, of more secularized. Yes. And, and, and it's hard to know a lot of things in that time period anyway because the archaeology can be interpreted in like three different ways exactly so yeah i think the important thing to remember is all of this is going to be speculative to some degree yes no matter which interpretation you're taking there there is some speculation that has to happen because Mm -hmm. history and its interpretation basically exists on a scale of how likely is it that this is true because we have we don't have a time machine where we can go back and verify for certain what things look like. Sure, yeah. We are using evidence to our best ability to piece together what things look like. Mm. What what separates us from more secularized understanding is we have a group of texts which were compiled over such a long period of time that we are viewing as being the unifying thread to piece together what this history looked like. Mm. And that's what the Old Testament is to us. To a degree. And it, it is a historical book. Mm-hmm. It is primarily history through the eyes of the spirit, mm-hmm. yeah. the spirit world, the, yes. the spiritual interaction in the world. So is it is it true? Yes. Are the, all the historical facts 100%? Probably not 100% because there are yeah. deviations even in some of the numbers, but that does not mean those numbers are wrong. Right. It's written from a perspective we, they didn't write history the way we, we write history. Exactly. We can't say, you know, this many thousand troops died at the battle of this because we have right. record that they didn't come back. They were like, hey, we counted and we had 300, what is it, Abraham had like 318 men. Yeah. He counted that. Yeah. He knew that. He didn't count the enemy's numbers. <laughs> he just said, okay, I know how many trained men are in my camp. Yeah. Yes. Let's go attack these five kings. Sure. And they won. That's all they cared about. Yeah. They were like, we were victorious, mm-hmm. even though our numbers relatively were small. We're facing five cities worth of people. Yes. <laughs> and we won. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Go look up Answers in Genesis. They have yeah. a YouTube channel. They have a ton of great stuff, videos on presentations that they made. They have a Bible museum. That's actually something I was going to say earlier. They built a life-size ark. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Like they've done it. Yes. And they've proved that it can work. Huh. So. Not not like Nat Geo being like, oh, we made like a bucket and put tar in it, and it kind of floated for about 20 minutes, and then exactly, it disintegrated. Like they, they actually yeah. constructed a life-size arc in the style that it most likely would have been in, huh. and they've shown that it can hold such and such many animals and all that kind the of stuff. The weight of, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So they have a ton of great stuff. Yes, absolutely. That's really neat. And they're actually working on, like, an ongoing process of tracing the origin of people groups mm-hmm. back to the Tower of Babel based yes. on their DNA. People yes. groups meaning like Asian people yeah. exactly. type, yeah. you know. you know. Where, where did the Native Americans come from? Where did the Aztecs <laughs> yeah. come from? 
oh, they're actually from these Eastern DNA strands from like, you know, you can, you can still kind of confirm that the land bridge from Alaska, from Russia to Alaska was probably how a lot of people came over into the Americas. Mm-hmm. It just didn't happen a hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. It happened 3000 years ago. Kind of, kind of idea. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that kind of presentation. Time is faster mm-hmm. and slower than you think. <laughs> it's so. a weird concept. I understand. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so yeah. So so reining everything in. Um, key takeaways. What what should be the key takeaways from this this episode? When when people think of the setting of the Old Testament, what should they know going forward? Summarize. It takes place in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. The language that you're going to come across most often is Hebrew, and it is a very complex language. But it is also a language that presents the different layers of the Bible very well. The Old Testament covers a very long period of time. We don't need to know exactly where we are in time all the time in the, New, in the Old Testament mm-hmm. because it's not tracing a specific history. It's tracing a story in history. Mm. And it's influenced by people that don't know or don't like the God of the Bible like the, the surrounding literature, mm-hmm. culture. So just because a story in the Bible is similar to something like the Epic of Gilgamesh, that doesn't invalidate it. Mm-hmm. The, we, like we talked about in past episodes, our foundation is the Bible. We are inclined to believe that the biblical story is the true one mm-hmm. and that something like the Epic of Gilgamesh, other cultural uh, literature, uh, origin stories, things like that, are influenced in a corrupted way from the biblical story. Mm-hmm. In that case, we will see you all next week. Grace and peace. <laughs>